This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me. Great episode I've got coming up today with Mitch Brewer from 365 Precision Training. Now, you might remember we did a long-range shooting podcast probably about six or eight months ago. I think it was episode 165. Uh, Head back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it. But we talked a lot about long-range shooting. We discussed different types of calibers for long-range shooting, the courses 365 Precision Training offer to its clients, and a lot of aspects uh, of lot reloading and a lot of aspects of the best tools to use when in the field when long-range shooting. So today with Mitch Brewer, we're going to concentrate more on the reloading and accuracy process. We're going to talk about electronic scales, balance beams. We're going to talk about brass cleaning methods, primers, powders, reloading versus factory ammo and factory ammo accuracy, full length sizing versus neck resizing. And we're going to talk about the hot topic of the 6.5 calibers versus the 30 cows in today's long range shooting. So it's going to be an awesome podcast. Like I said, if you haven't listened to episode 165, uh, head over to the AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au. Check that out. Mitch is a wealth of knowledge and he offers some great courses in long-range shooting here in New South Wales. Just again, guys, wanted to thank my Patreon supporters that listen to the show and support me here at the Australian Hunting Podcast. Guys, if you listen to the show, you like the show, you really enjoy it and you have a long-time listener to the show, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash AHP. I'd really, really appreciate it. Uh, I've got a lot of fantastic people that support me on Patreon. Those guys are the boss. I'm totally awesome. And without those guys, I couldn't do what I would do. So if, you've been, if you're a long-time listener to the show or a new listener, please consider supporting me on Patreon. Uh, you know, I don't get many money from YouTube. I get a little bit from sponsors. So every little bit helps to continue making these podcasts. I just want to say thank you very, very much. So I'm looking forward to getting into the show. I've personally got into a bit of long-range shooting and long-range varminting myself. A lot of you guys know if you watch my YouTube channel, Jason AHP on YouTube, or just type in long-range shooting rabbit, a couple of my videos will come up. Uh, I've been shooting rabbits at long distances. And when I say long distances, for me, that's quite long at four, three to 500 meters, sometimes a little bit closer. And you know what? It's been absolutely fantastic learning about the techniques for long range shooting, learning about reloading, learning about my gear, learning about scopes, learning about the differences in you know MOA versus mill radium, what the differences are, how it affects accuracy, quality, and the expense of the optics and how that works and how that factors in to long range shooting. It's definitely interested in guys I didn't think I'd be interested in it but it's certainly hooking me and uh, unfortunately due to you know full-time work and recording this show I don't have enough time to shoot which is always disappointing because I love my shotgunning I love going to the Riverina each year love my duck shooting I love uh, everything from rifle shooting I love pistols I just don't get enough time in the day to go and enjoy it and I'm sure all of you guys can relate to that so I'm gonna bring Mitch onto the show all right Mitch Brewer welcome to AHP thanks for joining me again I think we had you on for episode 165 which was great a lot of good results there a lot of people listening to it commenting on that which is great welcome back to the show appreciate it yeah AJ thanks for having me back on mate um yeah no it was was good that last show had a lot of uh 
a lot of people contact me about it and chat about it. So it seems like a few people listened in. So it was really good. Good to get a bit of feedback off it too. Great news. What's been happening since we last spoke? Uh, first off, I guess before we do that, actually, just um, if people want to get involved, tell us about the courses, you know, what you guys offer, where they're located, you know, pretty much everything in between, the types of courses you offer, what people can expect from the courses and where they can go for the website if they want to get in contact with you, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure, mate. So pretty much I uh, just developed a new website. Um, I'll be getting rid of the old one soon. So uh, the only change is it'll have the .au on the end. So it'll be 365precisiontraining.com.au. Um, yeah, list, list all courses. Uh, pretty much we still got our 1,000-meter and one-mile course and that. Um, just just change the names to, to LR1, LR2 now. Um, and then we've got our Precision Hunter course, which is very popular with the with the hunters, uh, we got a we got a practice day that we're going to be doing as well. Just uh, just you just pay your range fees, rock up, and just yeah, just do a bit of practice shooting with us or whatever, more for fun than anything else. And then we also got a LR three, which is a positional tripod bag type practical style shooting course happening this year as well. So there's um, there's a fair bit there. Um, yeah, if you want to if you want to read more about it, you can just jump on the website. All the information's there. Um, check out our store as well. We've got some new products this year that uh, we've developed in that as well um, that are coming out at good prices and trying to uh, trying to really help guys get into long range shooting and, and tripod shooting a bit more um, by yeah helping out with some some good pricing there and that. So yeah, no, it's been it's been busy, mate. Being busy. What sort of people do you see or do you have coming through the courses? Different walks of life, old, young, male, female? Who are you seeing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. We get them from, you know, I've had guys on uh, minors permits to do the courses up to a guy, I think it was 65, um, who'd who, who done the uh, LR1 course. It was pretty much just a, a bucket list thing he wanted to tick off, you know, while, while he's still able to do it. We've had, you know, tradies, uh, lawyers, teachers, doctors, it, it, yeah, all backgrounds, mate, you know. Um, the good thing about shooting, it doesn't discriminate. You know, it, it's uh, good for everyone. Interesting, because I've been following you on Instagram and I just created one myself. But uh, I wanted to find out, uh, when people come to the course, obviously, because I just bought myself, uh, I think it came about two weeks ago, the Kestrel 5700. And people that are listening to the show, I did actually contact the guys from Kestrel, I think, yesterday. So they're keen to come on the show and do a show about their, their ballistic products and stuff like that. So when someone comes to the course, let's say, let's go both scenarios. Let's say they don't have that type of equipment. Do they need that type of equipment to help them on? to the course or how are they going to work out their long range shooting how do you do they come just with nothing and you work off the the harder way to, to long range shoot or i find the kestrel i mean it's a little bit of work but i find it um it's it's easier for me just to yeah here do some trajectory validation bang here it is and off we go absolutely mate i'm a, i'm a huge fan of the kestrel 5700 like it's it's super quick you pretty much you don't even look at uh, atmospherics anymore um, unless you're really recording it for data and something to look back on. But, yeah, the Kestrel 5700 is an amazing bit of kit. It's definitely – it's probably – if I could pick one thing out of all the equipment I've got as being uh, the most useful, it's definitely that Kestrel. Um, it is it is costly uh, to some people to sort of venture out and, and drop that sort of money on one. Do you need it to shoot – start shooting long-range shooting straight away? No, you don't. You can start with, you know, there's a lot of these phone apps now for Android and iPhone. Um, you know, you can spend between a couple of dollars up to like $110 for some apps. But uh, what we use or encourage guys to use for iPhone is Ballistic AE, Advanced Edition, or um, on Sam, uh, yeah, 
Android. Um, applied ballistics, mate. Yes. Yeah. I was is. using the Strelock for a while. I found it good. I think I measured up the Kestrel versus the Strelock program, which I think is about 15 bucks. I think if you buy it from the, from the Google Play Store, I noticed pretty much it was pretty accurate. I don't know which one's more accurate because I haven't tried both of them out yet, but I noticed only probably, and this is shooting my 243 with 70 grains for sort of yeah, rabbits and varmints. Beyond the 550, it was almost toe-to-toe with the Kestrel, exactly the same in my current conditions here. But as soon as I got probably out past 650, which is not really what I'm going to shoot with that anyway, I did notice the the changes. They weren't significant, but there definitely were some changes there. So I'd be keen to get mine out actually and find out uh, which one's actually true or not. Is it the Kestrel or is it the Strelok? Because the Strelok obviously doesn't have, it only has the wind, distance, yeah, you know, trajectory of the of the bullet as well, or angle of the bullet, I should say, which way you're shooting. But other than that, doesn't have those uh, environment conditions such as the Kestrel has. So I'll be keen to find out. Hopefully, it's the Kestrel. Otherwise, I'm thinking, why did I spend this money? <laughs> yeah, yeah, guarantee. Yeah, the Kestrel's good, and I've done a lot of shooting with him. But you know, there's a lot of factors at play there. Whether you know whether you, well, for starters, the ballistic algorithm or whatever Strelok's using, um, the program behind that that runs it all. You know, it, it could operate differently to how the program in, in Kestrel applied ballistics runs. Um, you know, if you're talking trajectory validation and that sort type of stuff, whether the, you had the correct muzzle velocity on the day um, or did you compare it the same day, all that, all that type of thing. But pretty much, yeah, the Kestrel, with the live feeding the, the atmosphere into your ballistic program throughout the day or, or by the second, um, yeah, as long as you put in the correct information you'll get the correct information out so that's pretty much with all ballistic computers whether they're um handheld um, kestrels or phone apps or on laptops they're only as accurate as the information you put in because uh, if you put this old saying garbage in garbage out if you put the wrong stuff in it's going to spit out the wrong information so so they're, while they're they're awesome in that you still got to have a little bit of an understanding of, of how to drive it properly Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. And they're really well priced for a lot of people. I used to, you know, think about long range shooting. And, you know, if you go hunting, some people consider, well, you know, it's at 200 meters, just, you know, aim a little bit above its back. But not that I'm saying that's not humane, because sometimes that does work and it's a, it's a clean hit or a clean miss. But sometimes I've never done it. But, yeah, I guess some people have over the years might, be, might not be the best shot and guessing sometimes. And it's not really the good way to go about it. And when you do have control of, you know, what your bullet's doing and, and, and the firearm downrange, I think ultimately you get a lot of confidence in that, that if you aim here, it's going to go there. It's a, I tell you what, it's a damn good feeling when you pull off a good shot too. Oh, absolutely, mate. There's no – the old days of holding over with your duplex reticle and, and hoping for the best, you know, you really don't don't have to do that anymore. Um, there's all, all, all different types of ways that have been produced to help you, like BDC, turrets and reticles and hold over and all that type of stuff. But, yeah, but, you know, dialing up the elevation uh, and holding your wind, uh, regardless of the distance, if you've got the right ballistic inputs and you've trued up your your data correctly, you pretty much you know your elevation is going to be spot on every time. So you really become a more ethical hunter as well. Um, with, with dialing out those those little bit further distances, 
Um, but, you know, you're really guaranteed a hit, so as long as your data's correct. I want to ask you a question, too, because this is actually quite a funny one. Now, I yep. want to talk about scopes just before we get into – uh, this podcast about you know reloading and reloading accuracy because that's important. I know you've been speaking okay. to my friend Aaron from Shooting Stuff Australia. Now on scopes, he is a totally an MOA man, whereas I'm totally yeah. a Milrad scope guy. He's always giving me um, a lot of grief yeah. about it. He says you know Milrads for paupers like me. So let's settle the debate now: MOA or Milrad? What do you reckon? Oh mate, it's funny you, you bring that up because I was uh, speaking to him on the phone the other day and we had that same argument. And I think I brought him over to the light, mate, now the dark side. So, so mill mill radiance definitely <laughs> every day of the week. Nice, uh, so that's it. That's fantastic for me to hear. That's for sure. Um, I also want to talk about one thing. I'm looking at just me personally, but I guess for a lot of people out there doing the courses, 6.5s are becoming very popular at the moment. Say 30 cows, obviously still popular. 7 mil rem mag, for an example. Now, I put a post on my page today. I'm looking at purchasing uh, another rifle. I'm considering, you know, 260 Remington, 6.5 Creedmoor. People are probably going to give me bust my balls for that, but that's fine. Um, 7 mil rem mag, 300 wind mag. Now, I want to shoot out to roughly about, you know, and it could be up to 1,000 metres, could be 100 metres, could be 1,000 metres, um, you know, with 140 grain, for an example. How are the 6.5s comparing to, say, the, the 7 mil mags and the 30 cows in, say, 300 wind mag? at the moment, obviously, in the courses, but how are they faring against the 6.5s? Yeah, no, that's a good one, mate, and that's, and that's a common question we get, you know, like, uh, what calibre should I go, or is, is 6.5 really better than 30 cal? Um, same again, there's a lot of a lot of different things behind what defines what's better than the other. Uh, sort of comes down to what purpose you're going you're gonna to use that calibre for. But, like, generally, um, if we're going to compare, say, 6.5 to 30 cal, we'll start off with short action, so... Say a 6.5 um, Creedmoor or, or 6.5 Metrosexual, as they call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I might have to go to 260 Remington just so I don't get any shit from people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I pay a lot of people out with 260 as well. So, oh, shit, I, I, I can't I'm win. A, I can't I'm win. A Creed, I'm a Creed fan, mate. Yeah, they, they do really well. Just just better overall case design and, and that type of stuff. So Yeah. But yeah, but so the the six point five has obviously got the um, ballistic advantage over say, you know, like a one sixty eight grain thirty cal pill. Um, you can push it push it faster. It, fly, it flies flatter, um, less time in the wind, less time in atmospherics, and so essentially uh, less less effects on the projectile. Um, if you say compare a six point five um, with a one forty uh, one forty grain to a three hundred wind mag with like a a 210 or a 215 or whatever else. Uh, wind-wise, as far as um, deflecting wind, they're, they're about equally the same, but you're not going to have the energy in the 6.5 that you will, say, having uh, a 215 or a 225 grain coming out of a, a, a 300 wind mag. You know, it just won't match that energy. But uh, for, for elevation uh, and wind, you know, you're pretty much going to be very close. So you've seen all the marketing with it, um, quantity in that. They said, you know, the 6.5 matches a 300 wind mag. Um, it does to a certain degree, obviously, you know, depending on what purpose you're going to use it for, uh, energy versus, versus uh, efficiency uh, and something that's cheaper to run as well, you know. It just depends what you're going to use it for. Yeah, one of the properties I go to really – 
I can probably shoot to seven or eight hundred anyway, maybe deer. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm tossing up between the six point five. I probably am. I was probably going to go the six, the two sixty six point five Creedmoor or the seven mil Rem Mag. But then I'm starting to think, well, you know, the cost of the, you know, obviously powders. You know, there's more powder. Uh, yep. the, the rounds are more expensive. I think I was looking at you know the six point fives yesterday for the Hornady ELD. X, I think the hunting ones, uh, they were about 75 to 78, and the 30 cows were up to you know 87 to 89. So about that $10 difference. Obviously, you know you've also got yep. more powder as well, which you're going to say there is that extra cost there. And I'm thinking, do I need the extra recoil? Not that I'm worried about it, I'll probably break it anyway. But you know, is it yep. really going to? Is a 6.5 going to be more mild to shoot? Is it going to get me out of those distances? Still have the you know poundage knockdown power if I was to shoot. You know, a yeah. deer or a pig, and how often would that happen anyway? It'd probably just be a, you know, a long range hunting slash uh, target gun for a bit of fun, and hopefully get some good results out of it. So, um. oh, absolutely, mate. Like you really, yeah, you, you, a lot of people would be surprised of, of actually, you know, some of these short actions of, of actually how how much damage they can do at certain ranges. You know, uh, it, it just comes down to projectile selection. Um, proper shot placement, you know, and, and being how confident you are, obviously. But, you know, the little short actions, they are much cheaper to run because um, by the time you, you load up the big 30 cows and 7 mil rem mags, they do eat a lot of powder and the price of powder just seems like it goes up weekly these days. Um, so it costs a lot more to run. But also with the 6.5, the money you save there could be more time shooting in the wind, uh, practicing in that, something that you can, you can be a lot better at. Um, by, by running a cheaper caliber, essentially. So you, you more time practicing with it, uh, get better at learning the wing course for it or, or whatever else, you know. So you essentially become a better shooter because of it. It's interesting. Probably about maybe a year ago, maybe less, I spent, I thought, stuff it. I'm, I've got these guns that I've got in my safe. I'm going to buy bulk ammunition. I'm going to buy kilos of powder for my reloading, um, you know, bulk amount of primers. I mean, even in just... 12 months mitch it's crazy how much stuff's gone up i uh, yeah. uh, went to a shop and mate goes i wanted to switch out some uh, bullets so he goes oh well, i'll take them off you and i thought i'll just see how much they're worth in the shop literally just one case of bullets just in 12 months has gone up 15 dollars it's yeah, just it's oh. just insane i spent about three thousand dollars i think on reloading stuff i know that's not in everyone's budget to be able to do that but if people get the opportunity to reload and buy in bulk guys you're going to save a basically a shit ton of money down the track each year when these things keep going up yeah uh, absolutely mate i couldn't agree more like i've i've had uh pills sitting here um that i've had for, for ages and, and actually the same thing i went down the shop the other day and i could have sold them for more than what i paid for them same with um Couple of, a couple of scope manufacturers now. If you if you were to bought, uh, purchase some of their scopes, say three three years ago, um, and sat on it and sold them now, you could have made yourself easily a couple of grand. Um, yeah, so Crazy. just 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 the price rise is going up. But yeah, I don't know what the future is for it. Like, how much does it keep going up? How much do we keep having to having to pay? And how much does it affect the sport? You know, I, I just don't. Know. I agree. I mean, there's been some. You know, I'm a big ticker fan, but I mean, those prices have gone up as well. And you know, I was talking yep. to a couple of guys compared to that lower, you know, price bracket of say Howard. I mean, there's four to five hundred dollars difference now in 
in those products and they're still going to sell. That's the, that's the biggest thing in the industry. Are these are people, you know, and I get people contacting me all the time saying, man, I'd love to do this. I really like your show, but, you know, I can't get into it, man. I'm only, you know, I'm only working. I've got a family. I'm working 38 hours a week. You know, their wife's looking after the kids, which is, you know, normal. He goes, man, I just can't afford to shoot. I can't even buy a gun. A guy from my work, he just got in. I just took him last week to the range and shot my CZ22 and my new Ticker 22 and, you know, he loved it. And he goes, how much is, you know, the bunny busting package with the, you know, the, I think it was the Burris drop teen or drop tine and the, and the torch on top. I was about 1500 And he goes, oh, you know, it's really just getting over. I just can't at the moment. It's really starting to price people out of the market, which just sucks. Yeah, it is, mate. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, and I know a few guys who have sort of dropped out of long range shooting out purely just because they can't afford it anymore. Um, and then also, you know, with, with the price of everything going up, um, what, 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 people used to be able to afford quality wise before you know now the standard drops for them essentially you know, the, the the quality that they can afford now is, is becoming yeah pretty pretty crappy really so it's it's it'd be interesting interesting to see where it goes mate whether that settles down or it just keeps skyrocketing up yeah i hope it remains you know affordable for a lot of people it just sucks that you know it goes up so much and i didn't want to spend that sort of money on on gear but you know i felt like i had to i thought it better off spending it now than going out and shooting buying you know little tins of powder what the is it one kilo or 500 grammers whatever they are one kilo yeah, um, yeah. You know, I just, I just stuff it. You know, I think I bought like eight kilos of powder, you know, 10 boxes of projectiles. I mean, in Sierras, I was looking at $500 for just 10 boxes or more than that, $600 for 10 boxes of Sierra. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, at the moment. And, uh, you know, I think people are starting to switch up brands too now because, you know, the Sierras are getting expensive, which I like, but, you know, Hornady have sort of, you know, got that decent sort of round, which is doing pretty well. They're doing well, but they're remaining at a competitive price point and, yeah. yeah. No, I agree, mate. Like, like what I sort of do um, to even make it cheaper for myself is I try and find a powder that's versatile uh, in all my rifles and that, essentially so I can buy it in bulk. Uh, same with projectiles as well. Uh, like the 6.5140 ELDs, you can buy them in packs of a 1,000. Uh, it it yeah, does okay. cost, yep. co- cost more up front, but yep. in the long run, it works out a fair bit cheaper. You know, like in, exactly. And with it going up and up and up, the prices, you, you do save yourself a fair bit of money. Mm. I remember when I had, I think it was some Nosler ballistic tips when I used to have my 223, they were 55 grain, and I had them sitting there. There was a pack of 250, and it still had the pricing on there. I can't remember what they were now, but I had a mate come over, and uh, he's sort of in the industry. He's a dealer, and he, he grabs them, and he goes, shit, he goes, they're cheap. He goes, mate, literally, these are double now. And that was in the space of less than about three to three and a half years. Yeah, wow. For Nosla. Yeah, it was no, just crazy, mate, I, I crazy. It is, mate, yeah. He it's, looked um, at it and he goes, wow. He goes, mate, hold on to them. He goes, you could sell this half pack for more, <laughs> for more than the, yeah. you know, for more than what you could have get brand new, you know, because it's crazy. Oh, mate, yeah. It's like you, you could you could, you could could invest in products in, in, in the gun industry and just sit on them for a few mm. years. If you made the right decisions, you could make some money out of them. Yeah, no, good stuff, man. Anyway, getting back to one thing I want to ask you, yep. what, what do you own? What do you shoot out there? Are you a 6.5 or are you a 30 cal or you're a 7 mil man? Oh, mate, I, I love them all equally. I, have, I own a 7 mil. I own um, 30 cal, 300 normal and that. Um, I've got two 308s. I've got two 6.5s. So I, I like them all. Um, they all have their pros and cons, pretty yeah. much. But if I'm going to go, if I have to pick one gun to go to the range with and just practicing, um, or even you know, even if it's spotlighting out the truck now, I'll rip out the 6.5 straight away. And what are you running? Did you say the ELDs, or what, which one are you running again? 
Yeah, one forty ELD is I'm running in it. Mm. Are they a, are they a hunting? Are they uh, or are they a match uh, mate, grade? They're, they're they're a match pill, um, advertised match pill. But I've done plenty of hunting with them. Um, yeah, at all types of ranges, mate, and they perform perform really well, yeah. especially at lo- at longer ranges due to the the uh, thinner jacket. Uh, it could expand down to lower lower velocities. So where where the the say the LDX and that you say it can only expand down to 1800 feet per second where I found the ELD match can expand down to um, 1400 feet per second and that's just the experiences I've had with it I'm not saying that people should go out and get match projectiles and go shoot stuff because there's some that don't work well at all but personally for me I found the, the ELDs to be to be awesome for um, hunting. We'll get that in a bit further towards the end, I think, because I've got some questions there which I think the listeners would benefit from. But obviously this show, we'll get basically get, we're 23 minutes in and we're just, <laughs> we're just getting started, <laughs> which is good, but a lot of great info there on the initial intro. So tell us about the reloading, I guess, and, and the benefits of reloading. Now, I see people, and I guess that's up to them, more people in shooting, the better. I see them buy these, you know, Ruger Precisions, Tick Attacks, or they build a gun from scratch worth yeah. thousands of dollars then they come and say oh man i've got to go pick up some factory ammo this afternoon i'm like you're madder than a cut snake because you're not getting the benefits out of that rifle so how does the reloading what are the benefits versus pros and cons of reloading yeah for sure mate so there's some big benefits there and that and that's something we see through courses as well so many guys um they drop all this money on rifles and that and they're investing it in training which is really good um they come and do a couple courses but the money the money that's spent on factory ammo you know, it's just it's just insane. Uh, they eventually all go over to to hand loading and that. And yeah, so so one of the reasons would be obviously is price savings, um, just because you can you know you can keep reloading those cases and that. Uh, so so as long as you feed it with um, primers, powders, and projectiles. But also, it's sort of tailoring the load. You can tailor the accuracy um, by changing seating depth, powder charge. You can look for a velocity that you want to be at. You're not tied down to to whatever the manufacturer or the factory ammo uh, has their load at. So you can really make it pretty versatile. You know, you can have different projectiles for, for different things. Um, you can have two different two different go-to loads uh, on one gun just by just by adjusting your zero and your turret um, before you go out with one load and then adjusting it back um, for another load. It's pretty simple to do uh, and it won't, won't change anything. So there's a lot of versatility there. But, but yeah, the key thing I would say would be um, – pricing and then tailoring a load to your needs pretty much. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit O usaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. What, what are you seeing the best benefits out of? I've noticed in my rifles, especially the 243 and the 308, I've tried initially, I think in the 243, 2208, and it was okay, but I just wasn't seeing those good groups. As soon as I switched over to 2209, it was just like a, a whole different ball game. Beautiful groups. Uh, and the 308, even though it's not in the charge manual, they used to use it, I think, in the Nick Harvey uh, manual, 2209 as well, and getting really good results with the 308 as well. What are you seeing with uh, the rifles that you've got or people that come and do courses 
Yeah, so there's, you know, like that, that's another common question we get to is, you know, what powder should I run? It's really, there's so many choices in powder and that. Like 308, if I talk about 308, my go-to powder for that straight away is double 208. Uh, and then really sort of, yeah, pretty much double 208 I look at. And then if it's got like a 16-inch barrel or something like that, you know, I might, may look at um, 06H just because of the faster burn rate. But, yeah, double 208 is my go-to. Uh, in your scenario on that, it, it, I'll tell you, it's a bit hard to say um, as far as depends what your relating techniques were. Did you play with um, projectile jump, all that type of stuff, you know, how far? How far did you go in the, in the powder range? You know, did you did you just go to to max what was listed in the book, or did you actually do a pressure test and find out what was max in that rough? You know, there's a lot of different things that it can affect it. It was interesting. I think one of them too was it had the max load, and sometimes I've never gone to max load, but someone was giving me advice to go to max load, and I was like, "No, nah, I normally start low." And honestly, two grains uh, lower than maximum, I was actually starting to get some pretty bad pressure signs, and the fact that the the um, uh, primers were actually popping out, which is pretty bad. So, in my opinion, so any any gets any more than that, it could have been a bit of trouble, but. Um, I don't know. I don't know how far you've got to go, but they were popping the primers as well, which was which is interesting considering I was two two grains lower than the max load. So it just goes to show, guys, don't you know work up from low to high. Don't necessarily go to the max load because you can get. If I'd have gone another two grains, I mean, I don't know how much that detrimentally would have affected you know me shooting. But popping primers at two grains lower, how bad would it have been if I went two grains more? I don't know. I'm glad I didn't get to find out. So. Yeah, no, no, that's a good point, mate. Definitely starting low. Like, I personally, uh, you know, I've been reloading a while now. I'm pretty confident in the way I do it and that. Um, or I always still start low and work up because, you know, it's, it's it's nothing to have to go back home and reload some more and keep pushing instead of going back home with a, with a bolt stuck in your face or, or a barrel blown. So it's definitely work on the, on the safe side there and, and just work up. But, um, yeah, as far as my relating techniques go for that, I, I pretty much um, – I'll just keep going up higher and higher until I see signs of pressure. And then, for me, that's what – and that I'll have that window to work in. Um, but, yeah, like you said, with your with your scenario, uh, every rifle is different. Um, they each perform differently with different loads, you know. So, obviously, yours uh, had its max at two grains lower than the max listed load. And there's a lot of contributing factors to, to define max listed load from when they tested it to uh, to what you're doing, you know, to the user on the ground. It's interesting because when I was using that 2208, I probably could have tried some more stuff. That's probably my only disappointment with the 2209. Um, is that probably the speed? It's obviously a slower burning powder, if I'm if I'm correct, and it's probably not definitely not nowhere near as fast as two two oh eight. That's for sure, or two two oh six H, which is a little bit disappointing, especially for even to me using seventy grains on the Sierra for rabbits. Like I'm just not seeing that massively. You know, explosive expansion I might see with a, a faster powder, you know, compared to say lighter bullets as well in say a you know, 223 or a 250 or even a 204. But uh, yeah. it's interesting, eh? Trying different powders and seeing what works. And as soon as I went to that powder, it just it changed the whole kettle of fish to me. But yeah. I would rather probably shoot for, in regards to my varmining, probably accuracy than try and chase a faster powder to get good results. You know, I'd rather hit it and have good results, you know? Absolutely, mate. And, and in the end, it doesn't matter if if that works for you. 
you know, and you're getting good results with it, then then that's good enough, you know. That's right. So that's the main thing. If if it works for you, you know, just run with it. If that's if that's fine. And people say that they go, oh, "Should I go for the, ultimately from speed?" What do you think about that too? We'll speak about that now because that's important too. Where people are trying to crack every bit of speed out of their firearm at the, I guess, expense of their barrel, but not only that, I guess, at the expense of accuracy and you know, trying to get that absolute every last bit of speed out of it. Where I thought, you know, ultimately, the the more accurate you can get the round the better off you're going to be that's a, that's another good point mate you know there, there's two things there you, you talk about accuracy and muzzle velocity um they sort of really work together it, it depends it, it always comes back to what the purpose is you know if you if you've got a slow load that's shooting really accurate you know that, that that's really good you know you you're confident you can shoot good with it um whereas if say someone has a has a hotter load that's not shooting as tight but it gets to the target quicker and gets affected less by atmospherics. You know which one's better, which one's more accurate. True, true. Um, yeah, you know, that's the user on the ground to decide. You know, with, with what's better, taking into the factors of barrel wear, you know, brass life, um, all that type of stuff. It just it just depends. I, personally, myself, you know, I just uh, I try and push mine pretty hard, but um, I'm doing it for a reason. I'm trying to get uh, tightest possible accuracy for best best possible uh, muzzle velocity. Yeah. Um, but you know that's not always that's not always the fastest either. Um, you know, plus I always look at on the side of that is your standard deviation, extreme spread. So it, it could be accurate, it could be going fast. But if you if your standard deviation, extreme spread is um, all over the shot, you know I won't run it because uh, the differences in muzzle velocity not being consistent. Once you get out to a thousand meters, it plays plays a good effect. I want to talk about, you know, when you're resizing, this is an important one with accuracy as well. Do you full-length resize versus neck resizing? Which one's better? Does it make a difference? Yeah, there's really pros and cons to both, mate. Like, um, it's a bit of a deep, dark hole relating into how far you want to go down. But pretty much, simply put, full-length sizing just depends how far you're going to bump the shoulder back on the, on the brass. So you can set up you can set up any full-length diet to just – so when you resize it, instead of pushing that brass – all the way back to factory spec. So when it goes in the chamber, there, there's a there's a bit of movement in there. So when the bar, the brass uh, expands with the shot, it has a fair bit of room to move. If you just bump the shoulder back two thousands, so you just you're just bumping it enough back that when you chamber it, um, you're not going to have any issues. It's not going to be too tight. Uh, that, that that's a good way to go uh, because yeah, it's always going to chamber. So reliability. Uh, and then neck sizing, obviously, where the case is formed to the chamber. So uh, you got minimum head space, minimal, next to none or whatever. Uh, you know, you're only resizing the neck. So people think, oh, yeah, I know the old saying is that neck sizing was more accurate or whatever. But really, that, that's all well and good. But if you don't, if you don't shoulder bump or, or full length resize that case after you know, two to four firings, whatever whatever it turns out to be, you could rock up to the range, go to chamber, yeah, ammo that you've loaded up, and none of it will fit in the chamber. So there's there's pros and cons of both. Um, at the boat at the moment, I'm doing both of them. This depends what caliber I'm using. So interesting one I want to talk to you about as well. I literally just thought about it. Now I don't know if you do this. Was annealing? Now annealing obviously is heating up the brass to give people. Uh, a lot more case life, I guess, from their cases when they're reloading. Is that important? Is it not important? And can people admit that step? Or once again, depends what your purpose is. If you're just hunting, shooting out to two, three, four hundred meters, you know, and that type of stuff, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about it. But you know, for for long range shooting, thousand meters, one mile, two thousand meters, um, annealing 
well, it, it increases brass life because uh, it softens your brass up, so you get a lot more reloads out of it. It also um, helps with the consistencies of neck tension. So just having the, the, the case neck holding under the bullet, so when that bullet uh, fires out of the uh, case, it's the consistent amount of pressure each time you're know, releasing on that bullet or, or consistent pressure holding it every time. Uh, so if you're, if you're not uh, annealing, essentially brass uh, work hardens, so that, that brass will get harder and harder to, to get back to the same size it was before and essentially be out of spec. It just comes down to consistency. Um, just depends your setup. I've got an AMP, uh, annealing machine. It, it, it's pretty good. I kneel every firing just because it's so simple to do on this. But, I mean, you, there's a lot of other cheaper options out there too, and you could anneal every two to three or whatever. But What's but, it yeah, called? It Sorry, ANT? ANT? AMP, mate, are nearly, are nearly made perfect. They're a New Zealand company. Oh, AMP, um, AMP. Yeah, okay. no, they're really good. Great bit of kit. Okay, cool. Uh, that's good. So people can look up that as well. Uh, interesting one, rifle dies. This is always contentious issue as well. You know, rifle dies, you know, your standard regular rifle dies versus, you know, competition dies. Is it really, is it a bit of a wank fest or is it really legit the competition ones make a huge difference? Yeah, it's, it's, that's another good question, mate. It really depends on... on you know, what sort of accuracy you're chasing. Um, for me, uh, a half minute or a half inch size group at 100 meters with good, good uh, consistent muzzle velocities, and then I'll run with it. Doesn't matter if it's uh, one mile or 2,000 meters or, or 100 meters. That, that's my minimum standard. Um, I've achieved that with, with you know, lead dies, plenty of lead dies, and I've also achieved better type groupings from with more consistent dies like Forster and all that. But, you know, as to how far you want to go down that hole with it all, um, yeah, it really depends. But, you know, there is a difference uh, price-wise and then consistency-wise. So the more expensive competition dies have better reti- better tolerances and better repeatability. So every time that case goes up in there, it's essentially giving it the, bring it down to that same spec every time where some of them cheaper dies, um, and seeding dies, you know, you, when you press a projectile in there, it might, it might seed, seed them to the same depth every time. Yeah. So yeah, it just just depends, you know. There's yeah, there's pros and cons to it all. Is there any specific brands you like over other brands? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, I really like Forster. Um, they, they've been really good. Uh, Reading's been good, mate. And honestly, I've had good results with Lee, even though they're cheap and nasty. Uh, for for someone who's on a budget, I've done plenty of long range shooting with Lee dies. So. Yeah, yeah, they've been good too. That's just my personal. I've normally really. switched them up. I think between um, RCBS and Reading, but I think ninety nine percent of mine are now Reading, which have haven't any dramas with pretty good dyes. So, yeah, no, I've got some Reading here as well, mate. And they've been great as well. Sure. Yeah, and you, and you brought that up a very very good point about groupings. I think this is ultimately you know a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. What do you consider if you're long range shooting out to say a thousand meters, one of your courses? What do you if you're working up a load? When yep. will you call it a day? If you get under, you know, half ha- half minute, is that good enough for you? Do you like to see it drop any further? Because you know, with some of my hand loads, even with the ticker, I mean, you know, some people say, oh, you know, get a factory, uh, sorry, don't buy a factory rifle, get one made, do a build. I mean, I'm getting point three and point three two with you know two two oh nine and Sierra Blitz Kings. That I think they're BC of two point nine five i mean i can't yeah. how am i going to get better than point three their guarantees one you know moa to 100 meters how can i get better than point say three two like almost a quarter yep. of an inch group at 100 meters i mean how good is that <laughs> no mate they're, they're 
you know, I've seen a lot of teachers come through our courses and they've been on average, they've shot, shot really well. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, how much do you want to spend on a rifle? I've seen factory rifles with, with good shooters behind them who, who are doing the right thing, good marksmanship principles, uh, good hand loading techniques, shoot groups better uh, or, or on par with plenty of custom rifles, you know, on the firing line. But as far as to what level, a minimum standard would be um, a one sub one MOA groups, 100 metres, so smaller than one inch. Uh, and then obviously the tighter you get it, the better for your hit probability. You get to a certain point where anything sort of between half MOA to a quarter MOA, you know, that's real. That's really good. And if you're going to try and go tighter than that, you just essentially, for what we do, the, the, the practical style of shooting, you're just burning your barrel out. You're better off spending them rounds, uh, punching them down range and learning the wind. You know, that's a bit of, bigger uh, problem than, than sort of chasing the tighter group once you get below that half minute size. Yeah, it's good to hear that because, you know, some people, I mean, like myself, you know, I, I'm – coming up to that conundrum at the moment, whether I'm going to, you know, spend money on a build, you know, to go through all that effort, source all the parts, you know, I haven't really done it before, uh, you know, and especially when I'm getting good results from the firearms that I'm shooting, whilst are they the best on the market? Probably not. But I mean, ultimately for me, it's, it's the group size. If I can spend, you know, $2,000 on a rifle, put a good scope, some great reloads through it and a good stock on it and get away for, you know, under say four, four, four and a half thousand for an example, maybe 5,000. You know, even for a, a factory rifle, that's still getting up there for an expense for a lot of different people. When you say, well, you know, good glass is, you know, 1500 plus, or two, so some people say it's $2,000 plus. So, you know, you know yeah. it's just and crazy at the moment, the price is going around for builds and, and, and what we're yeah. expecting them to do. Yeah, no, that's right. Mate. And, you know, if, if, if your rifle shoots half minute, and, and that goes for all distances then, you know, if, if you were to take the shooter away from the rifle, uh, you know that rifle shoots half minute with a shooter behind it, um, and they can usually do a lot better than what we can ever make them do. You know because because we're usually the biggest error in shooting is us behind the rifle. That rifle then can then can apply them same size groups at, at whatever distance is ballistically capable with that projectile. So so there's no reason if you're shooting a half minute group at 100 meters, uh, you can shoot that half minute group at a thousand meters. So as long as your data and your wind, all that stuff's right. The potential is there to do it. The rifle can do it, but it's 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 a fact, you know. As 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 going for size of your group, it can do the same thing at a thousand meters as it can at a hundred, because there's no difference to shooting them except the distance in between and pretty much just the wind and atmospherics and, and all the data behind it, really. Mm, that's good to hear that, that people coming into the sport doesn't have to spend a lot of money to get good results. And some people may, like me, I was, I've was i changed up rounds through my 243 and you know over the time, depending on what I wanted to shoot and you know trying to chase a few things, and I realised I had a good load in the first place. You know, stick with yeah. it. It's really yeah. good. It's performing well. I mean, it's under well under half an inch. Let's not complain about it. Let's not try and chase our tails throwing more money down range when you've already got a good result sitting in front of you. No, nah, that's, that's 100% right, mate. That's, if you could give me a shooter who, who's, say, shooting a sub-MOA group, then give me a shooter who's shooting a quarter-MOA group, and the guy who's shooting um, the bigger group, let him practice, have more time shooting in the wind, let the other guy who's shooting a tighter group, um, let him practice at 100 metres without shooting in the wind and then put them two guys on the firing line at 1,000 metres, I guarantee you the guy who shoots the bigger group uh, but has been practicing more in the wind would be the better shooter. If there was one thing 
I've, I've learned or at least experienced throughout the process of, I would call mine long range shooting, but medium range, I guess, um, you know, up to yeah. 500 or 1,000 is wind. That is the most thing that will kill me every day of the week. And knowing the wind, it just, yeah. it, it's taught me, it's crazy how much wind you don't think it actually makes a difference. Oh, it does. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, mate. Like there's the two things that we concentrate on in courses really is number one is marksmanship principles. So so making sure that we're doing our job behind the rifle correctly and then secondly is wind because that's one of the biggest variables. You now we can we can train and get our data on easy enough, you know, anyone can do that. But yeah, really, you know, learning to call the wind and seeing which direction it's going, how fast it's going, you know, what what angle it comes in from, you know, what effect that has on the projectile from that angle. Um, how the terrain is affecting the wind at different distances, you know, all that type of stuff. You know, you can have three different, four different, you know, winds going from different directions at different distances, and you know, how do you how do you call that shot? There's there's a lot to it. Um, there's a science to it, but there's also uh, just sheer practice and a bit of guessing to it as well, mate. So, and sometimes you think you've got it correct, and. You know, when you think about those distances at, you know, 500 to 1,000, just because the wind's doing something where I am at the shooting position doesn't mean it's doing that downrange where the target actually is. As you just said, it could be going, you know, fishtailing winds, swirling winds. You don't know what it's doing. It's 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 so hard. Got a lot of respect for the guys that, you know, really learn that sort of stuff. And sometimes can you learn that stuff if a wind's doing something that you can't predict, swirling winds, you know, your bullet's only going straight. You, you have to deal with the conditions as they present. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, look, there's there's ways around it all, mate. And you know, that's something we harp on in the courses for the guys in the basic courses. So I pretty much break it down into into three different areas. So so where you are in the firing line, so the shooter's position. Uh, I usually pick a halfway mark between whatever distance you're shooting, and then and then the wind at the target. So I break it down into three different winds, just for for the guys learning, and, and then make assessment on those three different winds, whether it be using Mirage, uh, a, a Kestrel, whatever. Kestrels are good, but they're only effective uh, where you are. You know, they can't give you that wind call for, for 1,000 metres or 500 metres. So then it comes back to a, a bit of skill, you know, whether it's yeah, Mirage, looking at the trees move, grass move, dust, you know, whatever you can see moving and it help you make a call, you, know, you use it to your advantage pretty much. You'll listen to Australia's number one hunting, shooting and fishing podcast. Mate, electronic scales versus balance beam versus powder throwers, any cons or pros to each one of those and how do they make a difference for you know quality, you know, accuracy and reloading? Yeah, for sure. Bit of a touchy subject that one i've had with guys before some <laughs> some guys are really stuck on their balance beams you know um yeah i reckon they're stuck in the 1800s but yeah, it's it's one of those things i've got both I've, I've got to admit i've got both so yeah yeah i've always used electronic scales um i've, I've got by with the horny ones for a few years um yeah they've been they haven't been the best you know when it comes down to consistent velocities you know from not throwing um, consistent powder charges. Now I'm running the, uh, the AND uh, 120, the FX 120i auto thrower. So it, it's quite expensive bit of kit. Um, it, it's been really good, but I've seen good results from the um, the RCBS. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Charge Master. Charge Master, mate. Yeah, that's the one. There's uh, I've seen good results from that. But yeah, 
mate, I've seen everyone use everything, and I've got a mate who uses, uses balance beams. It takes a lot longer, but he still gets really good results. So yeah. I, I'd just suggest, you know, do your research on it. Um, look what you can sort of fit within your budget. A cheap option that they'll sort of push guys towards are Gem Pro 250 scales. So they'll, they'll measure the next decimal point over. Uh, yeah, so gotcha. instead of it being, say, yeah. 40.1, it'd be 40.12. I use them for years as well. I trickle up uh, on, on the Gem Pro 250s, and I've got really they're, – they're nice and accurate for what you pay. I notice sometimes that I got a Lyman. I think it's Lyman Gen Six. I think it is, and I notice sometimes it it goes over just by point one. If you go over, do you refeed the machine and then redo it again, or does point one of a grade make absolutely no difference to accuracy, or is that that bottom line that we need to make sure we're getting consistent every time? Yeah, in those in in that the scales in, in that price range, sort of that sub fourteen hundred price range. If it threw over, uh, I'd be pulling it back on. And, okay, and yeah. Back on, making sure it's perfect for long range shooting. If it's hunting and that, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, for those scales there, they're, they're you know they're accurate down to point one, but it's still point one either side. You know, so so there is just um, there's some differences there. I'm surprised the electronic ones. They're actually not too bad. Um, I, I would test them on the balance beam, and they're actually yeah. pretty accurate. And I guess having sometimes having a second balance beam, even if people just buy that just to check every load here or there, just to make sure, it definitely makes yeah, a difference absolutely. to see what your electronic ones are doing, especially in you know different humidity, different heat. You could have a fan on in the room. I always say have nothing on. You know, don't have anything electronic near it or phones just in case it puts it off and it does something silly and gives you you know only takes one mistake doesn't it for for something bad to happen to yourself or other people around you no that's right and and it's a good point you said about sort of you confirming yeah your powder charge with with another sort of reference point so even if it was out a little bit if if both scales are saying the same thing uh, you know your your standard deviations your velocities are probably going to be pretty consistent because you've confirmed it on two different things so you know, even, yeah, go on those cheaper options and that, you know, like if you're using more than one thing to confirm it and they're doing the same thing every time, you're going to be pretty well right. What about, I know this probably doesn't have much of an effect, but we'll talk about it anyway, but brass cleaning, you know, so you've got your stainless, your wet stainless, you've got your old cob media. Uh, I've dabbled in the, the ultrasonic as well with mixed results. Oh, yeah. uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah mate, I'll, to be honest, all I've ever done was cob cleaning. Uh, that's all I've ever used is corn cob. I don't use corn cob anymore. Um, for anyone uh, who's been using that, they know how dirty and it gets. So now I just use uh, white rice. Uh, oh, really? Sort of, okay. Yeah. yeah, I use rice. It, it, it sort of soaks up a lot of the carbon into the rice. So when wow. you pull your brass out, you don't get that green shit all over your hands and it's not as messy. Probably cheaper also, as well. Probably cheaper. It is, mate. It is cheaper. And also... Um, it doesn't get stuck in the in the primer pocket holes like some of that corn cob media does if you're tumbling without primers in. It's uh it, it's been really good. So I just use that. You get about oh, I don't know do about five or six tumbles with it because it's so cheap. I just throw it out, put some fresh stuff in, and it just soaks up all that powder and moisture and makes everything a lot cleaner then. Yeah, there you go, guys. Great tip for people listening to the show. Use uh, rice to clean your brass, and then you can you know, cook it up afterwards if you want. So. Yeah, mate, <laughs> you, get, you get stuck and hungry, you know you got something there. Yeah, exactly. Mate, what do they say? The, give us, say, the top two or three things that you would do when reloading, obviously for long-range shooting, whether it's you know, uh, target or hunting, that you, you think are the ultimate one, two, and three when you're reloading that you must do to get a good, consistent result. Maybe it's a brass prep. I don't know. That's up to you to tell me what you think of the top three yep so 
there'd be a couple of different sort of levels I'd put that up, but pretty much I'd be aiming for, for good temperature-stable powder. Obviously, all the ADR stuff's pretty pretty good, and it's actually some of the best in the world. Uh, match primers, match projectiles, and match-grade brass. Yeah, that, that's the first thing you want to do. But, yeah, just just as long as it's consistent, so seeding depth, consistent seeding depth, consistent powder charges, uh, and, and your your reloading technique is the same every time. Uh, if you're doing that, I, I think you're on the right track there to get some good results. Speaking of that one, you brought that one up just then as well, which is important as well. Now, I, I haven't seen a difference, but you know, you teach the courses. You would have seen a lot of this with your experience, but the match primers versus your regular primers. I used to have match because I think at one stage there for a while, that's all they had uh, in stock. And then I went to, I think it was just the basic federal blue box. Does that make a difference? I haven't personally seen a difference in my loads, but have you seen differences in, you know, I guess, yep. consistency? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, I've tested it as well with a few different brands. Uh, and there's definitely some some differences there. I was told by a guy in the industry that the federal gold medal match primers and the the federal blue box, uh, they're all the same primers. They're all made in the same shop. There's no difference between them, except the only thing is that the more experienced workers are putting the match primers together, so I'm told, um, and that's what makes them – they're just more consistent. That's the only difference. So we've, we've, we've a consistent uh, – Flash trade or whatever that whatever you want to call it, you know, um, equals a better SD. So you're just getting the better results from it that way. But but I, I just use match primers and everything, even my hunting stuff. So I just buy it by the thousand and it's using everything. Then I was just thinking to myself, you know, imagine that you worked in a factory making, uh, you know, primers and that, and they come in, they say, oh, you know, Jason, you know, you're you're on the federal blue <laughs> box at the moment, mate. And I go, oh, obviously, I'm not that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't know. I, I don't know how true that is, but uh, some guy told me that's sort of always stuck in my head. I'd feel a yeah. bit shit, wouldn't you? You know, what I mean, you're on the you're on the federal blue box, so then your mate oh, walks mate, over yeah, to the the yeah the, the, you know, the, the federal you're, match. You're sticking the primers in the bottom of the rimfire brass somehow. Yeah, exactly. I get the. It's crazy. <laughs> um, interesting one. Now, I do it when I get loads and that and i got this tip from a person you know primer pocket deburring i guess when you first get new brass you know trying to you know make that that flash hole consistency is that a is that a thing or am i just going overboard yeah no i i never used to do it but i've really started doing it now especially shooting like the the big guns out to one mile and that where everything everything sort of counts so i I uniform primer pockets uh so making sure they're all the same depth uh and then also i do the flash hole deburring even though you know, brands like Norma and Lapour, they come, they come, uh, they're drilled out. I think it is, and not punched out, so they 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 don't have that burr in there. It's just an OCD thing, or or whatever you want to call it. I just like to ensure that you know, everything's the same, and I've done the best I can before I start shooting it. So, I personally, I do it uh, myself. You only have to do it once. That's the good thing. Once you, once you get that brass, just I just slog it out and do it. But that's the only sort of uh, brass prep that I'll really do. You know, apart from your standard stuff. Is, is really just that uniforming uh, and deburring. Everyone's different. Some people don't have. The, you don't really have to do it. it. Just depends how yeah how how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. You're talking about powders before because I find that one interesting as well. ADI powders. You were talking. That's what I use. Is that the pretty much the industry standard in Australia at the moment for a quality powder? Pretty much, mate. It's even uh, it's even the standard in, in in America as well. So ADI supplier powder in America under the brand Hodgkin or Hodgkinson or I think it's pronounced. So, so that's this rebranded ADI powder uh, because it's just world-renowned for being extremely temperature-stable. So so that's another good thing us always do is make good gunpowder. 
Um, but yeah, pretty much made that, that that's sort of the go-to. And with with Australia having sort of yeah, fluctuating stock levels of, of, of imports and that, you know, ADI is sort of always there to a certain degree. So Yeah. I had this discussion with someone the other day too, and I, I have a look at their how many powders they've got, and I'm thinking, why not just make three? Maybe four at best, but there's more than that, you know. Was, could could there really be that many powders to do different things? I get like pistol you know, maybe shotgun, but rifle, do we need like however many there are out there? Just like slap 2208, slap some 09, slap some yeah. 06H or whatever it may be and, and be done with it. No, nah, exactly, mate. There, there's a lot to choose from. I'm sort of spoiled for choice with it, but you know, it just depends. Uh, there's a lot of things that influence, you know, different, running different powders, whether you, you, whatever your barrel length is, you know, having that burn rate, you don't want that power. You don't want to shoot a, shoot a round off and then have that, powder still coming out the end of the barrel of smoke because it didn't get used up um you know so they're different powder for, for different purposes uh there's a lot of powders that are pretty versatile and do everything like you said so you sort of do have that option there but i mean there's there's some that are really tailored to a specific thing you know so it's once again mate how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go an interesting question i just thought about it then too about you know bullets versus powder and let's say you've got a bunch of bullets. Let's say you bought a hundred, just to obviously do a test. Now, you just let's say you're not getting good results. Would you try different things in regards to the load first, or would you change the would you change the powder first, or would you change the bullet choice first as a number one pick if you're having problems? Well, it just depends what your what your technique is. You know, like I, I'd sort of look at all right, how far how far you know, what, what's my bullet jump? How far is the projectile having to go? Uh, out of the case before it engages into the lens, you know. So a lot of guys might understand that, but pretty much the the, the free ball they call it um, with the rifle, it can really have a big big effect on accuracy. You know, is a bullet close to the lens or does it have a huge amount of jump? Um, yeah, you sometimes you're really limited to to your magazine length if you want to feed out of a magazine, and some some factory rifles are really chambered. Uh, with long throats, so you have no choice but to have that long jump. In that case, you know, where you're limited to, to that one overall length, you know, maybe I, I, once you've uh, checked out different powder charges and that didn't work, then, I, then I'd probably jump to another powder and, and have a look. But if you got the room, say, say like with a Creedmoor and that, whatever, uh, if you have the room to adjust your, your seating depth, then maybe you know, maybe bring a bit closer to the lands, then, then go and reshoot it. I'd, I'd probably trial that first before switching powders. I was actually surprised too. Some of the, I think the Lapua brass in the six point fives. I didn't realise some of them were actually small primer. Does that make a difference having a small primer in a six point five versus large primer? Is there any benefit to that? Yeah, yeah, sure is, mate. I, all my six point five brass is, is small primer. Um, purely that you can, like I said before, I like to try and push push things on the on the side of muzzle velocity. Uh, you can get because they got more meat in the back of them, pretty much. Uh, you know, you can get a little bit little bit more pressure out of them. Also, uh, I, I'm not sure how true it is, but they reckon that uh, small match primers are more consistent than large match primers. Um, so they, it, they sort of attribute it to accuracy in that. But, yeah, I don't know. Just just depends on sort of level of accuracy you want, like we said before. But the reason I, I choose it is just because I can run higher pressures in it. BC of bullets, which I think is important as well. Now, there's obviously some great BCs amongst your 6.5s that I've been looking on the internet. Frankly, it's been blowing my mind a little bit. Uh, how does that make a difference in 
accuracy compared to say you, you know your other 30 cows your seven mils etc because i think i was looking at some of the might have been the 140 grain burgers or even the the hornady eldms or the x's i mean they're up to 650 or some crazy into the 700s i mean that's just crazy yeah so when you, you mentioned bc and affecting accuracy like like in in in, in theory ballistic coefficient really has has nothing to do with say short range accuracy so you could have all right, let's just say you had a big flat nose or around those 220 grain pill on a 308. You know, you could essentially have that shooting through through one hole. You know, in the BC, that's pretty poor. You know, but but it could shoot good at 100 meters. But yeah, but when you're getting out those extended ranges where that BC really makes a difference, um, it, it doesn't really affect accuracy. I'd say it, it probably it's given you a, a, a more ballistic edge where you have a, a bigger leeway. To, to allow for a mistake, so to say, yeah. whereas something that's got that lower BC, you have to be Johnny on the spot with your shot, with your wing core uh, to make that hit, if that, if that makes sense, mate. It's interesting how bullets make a huge difference, and I probably saw this firsthand. I was doing a bit of a recording you know, with Aaron from Shooting Stuff Australia, we're shooting a Desert Tech and probably the most expensive gun I've ever shot. And we're just shooting some basic Federal Blue Box. I think it was some uh, lead round nose. And, you know, it was okay at 100 metres. And we were shooting decently with it at, at about 500. But, I mean, anything beyond that, and it, it, it pretty much dropped off really, really quickly. And people yeah. were sort of shocked in the comments that we were reading, oh, he's, you know, for a $10,000 gun with scope, is, is that all it can do? But, I mean, that was the whole point of the video, that these are only basically a soft lead round nose 100 hunting round i mean that's not yeah, you know, a match yeah. grade bullet as soon as he switched over like i went home and he, he gave me a call and he went over to a match grade bullet he goes mate it was just like a whole new gun he, he couldn't believe it he goes some believers which i already guess was going to happen but that's the point of testing the hunting ammo which is not a, you know it's, it's slapped together in a factory let's be honest but it's great for 500 but beyond that it really starts to show the flaws beyond that 500 meter you know limit basically Exactly, mate. Yeah, so so I've done yeah I've done a bit of mucking around with the blue box myself, you know, about five hundred meters, and and this is in a throwaway. And after that, it really starts to go, yeah, drop off the big rainbow trajectory. But <laughs> yeah, true. you know, they're not they're not designed for that. They got you know they got they're not they don't have the right shape. They're not really designed to to cut through the wind and, and be slippery. You know, so yeah. so once they start. They spend longer in the air, and once they get out there further, they really get affected by atmospherics and everything around it, and it just starts dropping off. Where the more slippery your pill, you know, the faster it cuts through that air and gets affected by it less. So, so you will see. You know, it doesn't matter what sort of gun it is, whether it's a ten thousand dollar gun or or a two thousand dollar gun or a one thousand dollar gun. You know, um, bullet performance based on BC is is yeah is a whole nother ball game between say a hunting projectile. And um, you know a, a match projectile. So someone sort of really commenting on the performance of the gun based on a packet of Federal Blue Box. It's really got nothing to do with the performance of the gun, you know, ballistically. So once once that projectile leaves the muzzle, you know, apart from from accuracy and that, yeah, it's really it's all up to the projectile then to do its job. So yeah. you really can't base the performance of the rifle on it. Yeah, you pretty much answered it. Then I think was important is you know how does that bullet selection you know, affect accuracy, which, yeah, like I said, I've seen it firsthand. But, you know, how do you compromise on, like, most if I came to do one of the courses, for an example, like maybe purely, like I do want to do some target shooting, but for me it'd probably be, you know, hunting or, or having a bit of fun with it at long distance and shooting some targets. Yeah. And how do you compromise between, 
you know, hunting bullets and match bullets. I know you said you, you, you can use them on game, and I know there's a guy on YouTube, I think he uses for the 300 Win Mag some the uh, ELDMs, I think, as well. On I think he's in yeah. South Africa, a couple of Springboks or Wildebeest or whatever he's shooting over there, and, you know, he says the results are pretty good. So how do you compromise on that higher BC, say, of match bullets versus the not as good hunting, you know, bullet selection? Yeah. That's yeah, that, and that's the thing, mate. There's a there's a compromise with it. You know, you have your high BC, uh, better design projectiles. You know, to do the job and get that high BC, they they lack certain features to perform well in hunting. You know, whether it be um, the you know, the case thickness or, or whatever else. You know, usually there's a trade off. You have a match bullet, it's got a higher BC. Um, you know, it defies wind better, all that type of stuff. Generally, the terminal the terminal performance is 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 poor. Say where a, a hunting projectile BC is not as high, uh, but therefore it's set up to to ensure you know, a, a good solid kill. But its its terminal performance is obviously much better. But you know, um, like I said, I've done a lot of shooting with the AMAX and, and now the ELD match, and they've been they've been really good. You know, like I I, I wouldn't encourage someone to do it if they're not confident or whatever, but just going off the results I've had, they've been just as good as any um, any hunting round I've had. But really, it depends. You know what what type of game you're shooting. You know how thick is their skin, what distance you're shooting it at. You want to make sure that you you know we're being as eth- ethical as possible. And if you're not if you're not capable of taking the shot, whether it's a hundred meters or a thousand meters, you know I've seen guys um, be be poor at shots at close range as well as long range. It's you still got to uh, do the right thing by the animal in the end. I wonder how much of a difference that BC makes. I was just looking a bit earlier today. I think, you know, some of the, the Hornadies were in the 7.29 for, for match and then, you know, the 6.35 to 6.50 in the hunting. Yeah. Does that really – is that a small difference? Does that make big differences in the grand scheme of things in, in regards to that little bit of a difference in the higher versus the lower BC? Um, not not hugely, mate. Like inside 500 and that, no. No, not, not really, not at all. Uh, outside a thousand, I'd be if I was going to take a shot on something that was you know going on the wall or whatever, I'd be wanting to squeeze every bit of BC I could out of it, you know. But it just depends on what the purpose is to where those those sort of hunting projectiles are good at. You know, is really really up close. Like I, I, I would be too confident in taking a shot at something with an LD match at say fifty meters, you know, like a pig or anything like that, because that thinner jacket will just explode on the shoulder. And pretty much just just injure the animal the animal more than sort of get an actual bit of penetration. Uh, it, it's more designed for sort of further ranges where those lower velocities were allowed to expand good. Where those hunting pills or whatever, because they're thicker jacketed, yeah, you know, they'll essentially go through like a drill and they won't expand at those longer ranges. They just go pretty much like shooting a full metal jacket through something. Let's go through that too, because I want to. I know you've mentioned a few, but let's put it all in one sort of question. I think so. Let's say you were going hunting. I mean, it doesn't matter what caliber you've got. You want to go yep. hunting at say you know anywhere it could be anywhere from two you know two hundred something pops out two hundred meters in front of you out to say a thousand meters. What would be some good bullets people could buy that are well priced and have good results for their hunting application? Yeah, so pretty much uh, Hornady. One of the ELDX, you know, it's been a good performer. A lot of guys use it on course, you know, for, for the target stuff. It, it, it's good. That's something that I'd be confident in taking a shot at, you know, an animal 50 metres with it on the run type thing. It's been really good. If you want to try um, one of the ELD match, uh, it, it's good too. you got the Burger VLD hunting and target. 
Uh, the hunting one's specifically designed for long-range hunting, but you got that um, that BC trade-off between it and the target one. Sierra's now make the, I think it's the Game Changer, which is uh, their equivalent of an EODX, so it's a high BC hunting bullet. Uh, but what, what I've also had good results here too is is an SST, Hornady SST. It's got a, it's a it's a ballistic tip, um, pretty stout, pretty strong bullet, but it's it's also got a good BC for a hunting bullet. Um, I've shot a lot of goats with them at some good ranges, and yeah, it just drops some dead on arrival, mate. It's it's really good too, and probably uh, probably a little bit cheaper for some guys to get as well. You know, maybe inside their scope price wise. And what about say you did mention the ELD match, but what about in the target arena? How what what are we seeing there for the bullets as well, other than those Hornady uh, ELDMs? Yeah, well, that's another sort of factor with, with Australia, mate. We really so we really can only get what that. that that's what's on the shelves, like Burger. Um, they've they've gotten really slack with their shipments over here. They seem to come in once every six to eight months, you know, and they're pretty much sold straight away. You know, and really, I don't even I don't even buy Burger anymore to do any testing movement because if you do all that load development, you can't purchase them pills anymore. What good is it? So exactly, Hornady seems to be the only one. Hornady and Sierra and a couple other brands seem the only ones that you can go into most shops and, and have it have it be on the shelf so you can use it. I've, I've noticed that too with a lot of guys, same you know, same thing too. Like they've gone to the Hornady from burgers. They've made, you know, watch yeah. a few YouTube videos and you see them with the 140 grain or 143, whatever, they're the burger VLDs. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you all of a sudden, the next video, couple of videos later, they're saying, well, yeah, the, the availability is just not there. And they've slackened off a bit and they've gone to say the, you know, the Hornady or the Sierras or, or a similar brand. But generally, it seems to be Hornady from what I'm seeing. Yeah. Pretty much, mate. Only, only the fact that they, you know, they're on the shelves and, and they they supply them, they'll see you know, in good numbers. So they'd be making a killing out of it. You know, a burger would be losing so much money out of it. It's just, yeah, I don't think they can keep up with production. Bloody hell! So. I think Hornady should make if they listen to this show. Hornady, we start getting a kickback, kickback yeah, from, know, the, hey, from the recommendations. We're, we're, Give us some free bullets, Hornady. Come on! Yeah, we've plugged you that many times. Jesus Christ! I mean, I know people always say that that you, know, you get paid by these. I said, I don't get paid from anyone. The only people that I get paid from is the ones you hear that yeah. advertise on the show. That's about that, it. Or yeah, yeah, that's it, mate. Yeah, not just speaking the truth, mate. Just yeah. saying what's there, what's going on. So. No, it's good. It's good. It's all word of mouth too. On what works and what doesn't work when you're yeah, reloading exactly. last couple of questions to go the reloading for target shooting and hunting and i'm and i guess i'm talking at long ranges too like as you set up to say a, th- you know, a kilometer does that yep. does that if you're reloading for both will you reload the same way if you're reloading for say a target you know match per se uh, or if you're going to go long range hunting does that differ or do you just stick with the same process for both yeah so if we'll say say long range uh shooting of any type I'll load, I'll load the same way, whether it be going to shoot, still going to shoot a match or, or going hunting, um, because I want that. Yeah, anything to do a long range, you want you want everything to be consistent, so it's all got to be the same. Uh, just general hunting, you know, just have a normal hunting rifle on that. It would be fairly different to what I do for the, for the long range stuff. It'd be less prep. Um, you pretty much you're not shooting as far, so you don't have to be as consistent because inside 100, 200 meters. 
you know, those big velocity changes and seating depth differences, you know, they you won't really see them. So, so there's yeah, there's a bit of difference there. But it just depends what distance I'm aiming for. That's right. And I guess going getting back to the cost as well. Like I mean, I've even, as I said, run the Sierras out of my you know two four three. But even looking to some of the you know basic Hornady V Max or similar, um, it's yeah. certainly a huge price difference from you know what I purchased them for compared to say the the Hornady and something. I, mean, I love my Sierras. Don't get me wrong, but also the price point between the two seems to be you know, not to say it's getting any closer but it seems to be a quite a large or decent price gap between the two brands and you know some people swear for about from sierra some people swear by hornady and don't think bullets like sierra are, are worth the cost you know but i mean i'm getting good results out of mine but you know i did try some uh, hornady 87 grain v max and didn't have as good a results but i don't think i tried it with the 2209 so like sierra's are great they're a great projectile you know like i've yeah, and they they've gone over to the, um, the the polymer tip or whatever material they're using. That you know, as they sort of stepped up to to what the ELD is doing, and and seeing that their tips were mounting at, at longer ranges. So so they're sort of following suit there. They got really good BC projectiles as well. Uh, for me, it's just a costing. That's why I don't run them, just because I can get quantity cheaper. Yeah, but they're, yeah. they're like they're all they're all good. Once you get in their match projectiles, they're all consistent and pretty good. Mate, good, good podcast. Any, I mean, final tips, you know, for people that, you know, they want to get into reloading, what sort of advice you could give them to, to get them along the way and to, and to take care when reloading and get the best results they can? Yeah, for sure. So what I'd say is I, I started out with a cheap lead kit. Um, I bought that. I mean, it's like 180 bucks or something like that years ago. Uh, I just got to – I spent a little bit on scales and that. That was the main thing. Uh, that's all I needed to do get into it, and I just yeah started reloading. I just made sure everything was consistent. If you're doing that, you know you're pretty well on your way, and just make sure that yeah consistent hand loads um, will be consistent accuracy, pretty much. Yeah. So as long as you do your part on the rifle as well. And what's the yeah. when people are coming to do the courses? What's sort of the I guess minimum expectation you expect for people to have in regards to? Uh, rifles do you expect them to sort of you know have the reloads can they use factory and what do you expect from them bare minimum because sometimes people I've, I've seen some great you know factory ammo shoot really well in some rifles and then i had a seven mil 08 i think i probably i went to 308 only because of you know availability of components and that but but the set great absolutely great caliber i can't knock i love i love shooting it was fantastic you know you just gotta sometimes you know you gotta go for the thing that's accurate but when i was doing the the factory ammo honestly i was shooting dinner plates at 100 meters it was like 10 12 inch groups and, and three different brands 150 dollars on ammunition as soon as i went to a i think initially i was shooting a 120 grain v max oh it was like clovers first 2208 yeah. powder i think it was first load clovers and i'm like i don't think i really need to do much more with this i think i'm pretty much done <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's good when that happens, mate. It's yeah. run with that. That's and and, sure. and a low, uh, you know, powder charge as well. So probably have decent, yeah. really good barrel life. I think it was, I don't know, it's probably 38.5 grains or 40.5. I can't remember at the time. It was a long time ago. But, you know, yeah, great yeah. results and not a barrel burner. And for hunting, you know, one to 200 metres, which is what it was going to be. I think it was a tick of light. Mate, great. Why not? Yeah, yeah, no. See, like, really, you don't need you don't need to have anything. You just got to have your gun license, and you come do the course. And we got high rifles that are all set up. So a lot of guys like to sort of try before they buy, get a bit of knowledge before they invest their money into into long range shooting. As you know, it's pretty expensive. Um, yeah, accuracy level. You know, you, it doesn't matter what what level of accuracy you're shooting. You, you, 
we've had guys who never shot grips at all. I had to explain to them that what a five or three round group was because they they shot one round at each black dot. So they never actually shot a grip before. Uh, once you know, once I explained to them what it was and that, and the end of the courses, they were shooting really well. So experience level is, is nil. Uh, we like to sort of yeah train you up, and we find. People who sort of haven't been shooting as long are generally easier to teach because they they got less habits to break or no habits to break, so they they're easy to mould straight away. But as far as having your own rifle and ammunition, yeah, I've seen some really good factory ammunition come through, mixed results, but you know, there's definitely all, all, all doable. So as long as it's factory match ammo, air rifle. Um, if you don't mind getting your, your barrel pretty hot, you can sort of run with a sporter barrel, but they will get pretty hot on the course. They do do a lot of shooting. Yeah, mate, anything, anything and everything, as long as you've got a correct scope, um, yeah, that's pretty much you'll get away with, you know, and, and, and the minimum calibre of any six mil. Interesting. Good. And you just brought that up. Great. I want to really touch on that, the sporter barrels versus the heavy varmint barrels. Now, it hasn't got much to do with accuracy. I find probably a little bit easy to find the node on, you know, a varmint barrel, for an example. But yeah, if you're, you know, you want to go hunting, but you want to shoot long range and you don't want to lug around a big, you know, 10 pound rifle or whatever it may be in that particular weight with a big, you know, 30 for 34 mil scope. Yeah. How yeah. does how does that go in regards to shooting long range and being able to, you know, you could have access to a property, you do a bit of work, a bit of walking, you come over the hill, you know, you might see some deer frolicking at, you know, 750 and, you know, are, are you still keen to take those shots and do you still get good accuracy with those sporter barrels over the varmint barrels? Oh, absolutely. You definitely can. Like it's, you know, you... Essentially, you only really got one shot at it, so you're only taking that that one first shot. I think where it comes into play with the sporter barrels is that the time you need to be out on the range shooting to gather that data correctly and the amount of shooting you need to do, it, it could take a long time throughout the day to do it because depending on the weight of your barrel, you know, you could shoot three or four rounds and then it gets too hot that it starts blowing grips out, so you have to wait for it to cool down yeah. before you can sort of continue on again. And by the time you do that, you know, the, that much has changed throughout the day, wind and temperature and that, that, you know, it, it's putting your data out um, compared to, say, you can rattle off 10 good rounds down range pretty quick, um, you know, inside of one session. That's where that's where the benefit of the heavy stuff comes with. And like you said, a little bit easier to tailor hand loads to as well. But essentially, you know, if, you, if you've got a light barrel, and you, and you had good data and that, yeah, by all means, you can you, know, you can take any shot with it at any distance. It really has has no effect. It's, it's sort of once that barrel starts heating up and, and having more whip and that, that's when the effect comes into it. So if you give yourself one or two shots, you know, um, yeah, by all means, you can have a crack with a sporter barrel for sure. Now, this is more funny, but I'm going to have a bit of a joke here. I've got a beef with you. I've got a beef. You, you've gone to the March, I think, Scopes. Now, I think, uh, <laughs> I think was it your – oh, it, took, it was a bit of your advice, I think. It was a bit of a it lot was, of people mate. on the internet. The Bushnell DMR2, that's what I've got on my 243. Yeah, yeah. And I might move that over to – uh, the 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 heavier caliber when I get it because I think that'll be better and I might switch out something new to the to the two four three maybe a little bit smaller. So what's wrong with the Bushnells, man? I took your advice, you bastard. What's going nothing on? Nothing at all, mate. No, no, nothing <laughs> at all. I still, I still, I, I love the Bushnells, mate. They've been really good. Uh, there's a little bit of a little bit of a story behind that, just with um, a certain supplier stealing it off a off another supplier ah, or, right. gotcha. or whatever have you. Gotcha. Uh, I sort of, I lost, uh, I essentially lost access to it, uh, which was, you know, I, I'm still spewing about it. I, I wish I still had access to Bushnells. They're great. So I had to, uh, yeah, sort of just suck it up, mate, and find another product that was really good. 
and, and going to do the job, you know. So, yeah, like if, if, Bushnell, if Bushnell still wanted to support me like before, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm open to it, but yeah. That's interesting. I remember last year, I think it was, I was looking to pick up another one, the DMR2s. I think I got mine for about fifteen ninety five, and there was a time there, one of my one of my gun shops uh, that normally notoriously got some pretty good prices uh, on the DMR2s. I think one time the, the G2 reticle, non-illuminated, was thirteen ninety five, and I thought, geez, that'd be a, that's a good price. I should pick one of these up, and you know, stupid idiot me didn't, and now they're over just over two grand. I'm like kicking myself, especially now that I'm thinking about you know buying another scope like a year. A year later, I really oh, should have mate. bought it and just held on to it. Oh, absolutely! There was, uh, yeah, there, there was a certain place selling them scopes that are absolute bargain, you know. Yeah. And anyone that might be the same in, place we're talking about. <laughs> I, I think it is, yeah. And anyone wanting to get in the shooting, you know, that would have been the way to go. But yeah, they're just yeah. not at that price no more. Speaking of that, just a last question, me to finish. I don't keep you much longer. In obviously, you know, you got that agreement with March or whatever, whatever. However, you're dealing with that and whatever the agreement is. But um, what do you think in that price range? Someone comes with a scope, even though we did discuss it a little bit on the last show, just to give people yep. a bit of a, a bit of a refresher. You might say, what should people be spending on, say, a de- I mean, yeah, scopes. You know, you range in price from different quality glass to turrets. You don't want to mushy. You want it to track correctly. What should people yeah. be spending, and what do they? What's a, a sort of good middle of the range road? scope that people get people can get started in without you know putting their ass to the ground you know and burning their ass because it's so expensive yeah for sure so so as you would know i used to say the dmr2 around that 1500 dollar mark that's what i used to point point towards guys with that budget um now that 1500 dollar mark's gone up to sort of 2200 that's sort of the, becoming the minimum buy-in to 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 be uh, get good tracking and, and reasonable glass and all that sort of stuff to get you started, you know, it's, it's about that 2200 mark, or unless you can find something good that's second hand, um, you know, but there's always a risk buying second hand as well. So you got to do your research on that. But yeah, any, yeah, 2200, $2,000 mark, that'd be the starting point um, there these days now to get something. Anything in track. particular brand wise that you want to mention or? Mate, Bushnell, Vortex, they, everyone, everyone does a good scope. Uh, Vortex PS2. Um, they've they've had good raps. Um, I've had some bad experiences with Vortex over the years. Just some of their scopes or whatever. I'm not bad mouthing their scopes at all, but that's just me. Yeah. But uh, the the PS PST two's been has been it's been pretty good. Um, I've been yeah, hearing that a lot with the Vortex. Anyway, a lot of people, especially just recently, I don't know if they're maybe it's just hearsay, but I've had a lot of people that I speak to contacting me. I mean, detached reticles. They're having bits of grit inside the the scope on the you know on the glass that's just presenting itself. And I don't know if their QA's gone down. Like I don't want to bag them in because certainly they make a great product. But I seem to be hearing a lot more about it lately, which is you know like I said, not to bag them. It's just what I've been hearing from people in the industry. You know. Yeah. No, mate. Uh, well, I had. Yeah, I, I, same thing again. I, I don't want to bag their scopes. You know, they got their good stuff from that. I had three that sort of let me down, and one when I was um, professional roo shooting and that sort of yeah, that that sort of done it for me. It sort of affected uh, yeah my night big time and, and really blew it out. But transferred over from that then. But yeah, that yeah, it's it's a common thing I'm hearing too, mate. So I don't know whether you know, a bit of quality control dropped or something in their manufacturing process, but. Yeah, I don't know. There's some reports of the PST too, or whatever it is from the states that it's it's been really good. So maybe they've picked up on it. What about India? What else we got there? We got um, you said the Bush What about the Leopolds? The Night Force? Any good? Any good for the, what we need? Yeah. Now? Oh yeah, of course, mate. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Night Force are really good. Um, they're great scopes, you know. Uh, March, obviously, going to plug them. I, I of course, use yeah. them. 
on more offers than that now. They're, they've been really good. Um, they're good to work with. Glass quality is, is awesome on them. Uh, they've been great. But, yeah, the new Leopold HD5, I think it is. Uh, yeah. They've got that new 3-18 to model as well. They're getting um, big following now. They're sort of – Leopold went quiet in the long-range team there for a while after the Mark IV. Had a bit of a bad rap, but <laughs> there's yeah, just yeah. so many, isn't there? With you know, and everyone, I, I normally jump on the net or Facebook and type in the scope, and you get a lot of discussion yeah. about different scopes. Then some say this one's good. I think, man, why did I jump on here and look at this? Now I'm just way more confused than I was 20 minutes ago. Oh, mate, there's so many good manufacturers out there. Kales, yeah, you, know, you got this zero compromise um, coming out of America now, which is meant to be, yeah, they're sort of new to the game, but they're meant to be some of the best already, you know. And, just, yeah, the technology with them is getting crazier and crazier. So it's really – you're spoiled for choice, but, you know, so the price keeps going up too on a lot of them. So. Yeah, that's right. And it shouldn't permit people not to get into it based on price too. Or if you, people feel a bit, you know, like you said, people coming to your courses and not knowing the difference between a three- and five-shot group, I just tell people, listen, you know, if, you don't, if, you, if, you get, if you're going to do a course, say for an example, just go have a look on YouTube for a little bit, get a little bit of experience and then come to the course and then it doesn't mean necessarily that that's going to be the right information on, say, what people are putting out on the internet, but it's going to give you a little bit of an idea about what you can expect when you do go do a course and get a couple of those little things down pat about you know your groupings and and you know three shot groups five shot groups just a bit of basic info so you don't feel nervous like that because there's probably exactly. people out there that probably think about it going oh a long range shooting you know there'll be 15 or 20 guys there and oh, i don't know what i'm doing you know i oh, know i can't do a course you know they, they shouldn't be deterred yeah. they shouldn't be deterred by that Nah, and that's i've had guys email me saying that thing same thing oh we want to come do it you know i've got no experience and pretty much don't get embarrassed and all that type of stuff yeah um yeah, we haven't. I haven't had one guy come through the course that wasn't a good bloke. Like everyone's there to learn, everyone's there to help each other. Mm. Yeah, they've all had great attitudes, and no one. It's not. It's not a dick pulling contest, you know. It, it's just. It's just everyone's there to learn and and get better and, and have fun while they're doing it. But you know, if you if you do want to sort of you know, maybe give yourself a little head up heads up, like you said, there's plenty of information on YouTube out there or. You know, even drop us an email or text or call, you know, we'll, we'll help point you in the right direction. You don't have to come to the course, you know, we can just help you out over the phone, point you in the right direction. There's plenty of options out there. Nah, make them do the course, make them work hard, get them on there shooting <laughs> great and... You know, they'll yeah. be much more probably excited by doing a course and hitting. Because like I imagine that's a pretty good, you know, excitement for people when they come there and they've never shot long range before and they're dinging targets at a kilometre. I mean, it's pretty cool if you ask me. Oh, mate, it is. It is very exciting for some guys. It's sometimes to a point that they, they hit the target, they're that excited that they forget everything that they've just learned. <laughs> and they start standing up and high-fiving each other and they just like, they forget what they're doing. And, so, yeah. you know, some guys, it's, and it's good to see, mate, see the smile on people's faces when it happens. You know, that's, that's a, a great, a great part of it, you know, and being there for it. So yeah. it's good fun. You know, and, and the money you invest in training is, you know, it's money saved in the long run as well between trying to lean yourself and back to and from the range and spitting around bulk, spitting down bulk, uh, MO down range to try and, um, learn things. And you know, if you just, yeah, invest in yourself a little bit, you can put yourself years ahead. So. That's good, man. Uh, really, it's fantastic. Mate, what about the, let's finish off the website. If they want to go on there, that's the most important thing, you know, plugging the business and getting people obviously to come and do the courses. So if it's Facebook, your phone number, email, how do they best get in contact with you to, to book in or websites, et cetera? Yeah, so, mate, au. Uh, you can book all the courses online now. Um, 
He's got all the dates and that. Me, pretty much, yeah, just look under the training banner, yeah, pick your course, pick your date, and, yeah, all the information gets emailed out once you purchase it. But, yeah, you can go on there, contact us via the webpage. Uh, my email's on there. Yeah, call or text, whatever, you know, we're, we're here to help and, and help introduce guys into shooting and also to get better at it. So anything we can help with, just let us know. Yeah, people should jump on the, the uh, Facebook page too and the, the Instagram page too because you see a lot of the photos, what you can sort of expect from, you know, a weekend and, you know, the, tera- yeah. the terrain they're shooting and the sort of systems they've got going there, which is, which is great to get a bit of a feel about what goes on there. Yeah, mate, yeah, jump on the social pages. I do when I, it's, when I get time, I try and post um, – yeah, some good informative posts. There's some good little tips there. It might help people out. And, uh, yeah, we post a lot of stuff on there, so it sort of keeps you up to date. So give us a follow and a share and a like and all that sort of stuff. So it'd be good. Excellent. Mitch Brewer from 365 Precision Training joins me here on AHP to talk about uh, relating for accuracy, long-range shooting. We probably delved into a bit more of what we wanted, but, hey, more information is always good information. So, Mitch, thanks for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, hope we can uh, connect again soon for another one. Uh, sounds good, Jay. Thanks for having me on the show, mate. It was really good. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.